This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. Thanks to Rode Microphones and Harlan Hogan's VoiceOverEssentials.com, the home of the Portabooth Pro. This is the Pro Audio Suite podcast with Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post Chicago. Darren Robbo Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging Sydney. From LA, George the Tech Whitam, the Tech to the VO Stars, and me, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent and home studio guy. When you look at all the successful acts that have come out of Australia, like ACDC, NXS, Midnight Oil, even Keith Urban, they've got one thing in common. They've all cut their teeth in the pubs and clubs around Australia. Now, our guest today has also done the same thing with a couple of different bands. One that was huge in the 80s and early 90s called Noiseworks, where he played bass guitar. also had a touch of international success with the Electric Hippies. And, dare we say, he's also worked with David Bowie. Our guest today is Steve Balby, who's just released a new album called I Think I Know For Sure, which was recorded in his bedroom in his suburban home in Sydney. Playing my guitar. But the interesting thing is, he's in the process of building a new home studio. Hence the reason we've got him on the show today to talk about the process. So, sitting in his house in suburban Sydney. Please welcome Steve Balby. Thank you. Now, the reason we got you on the show today is because um, you've been building your home studio. I have been. Yeah. yeah, and he's been he's been buying, buying my stuff. Yeah, yeah. More I should, your stuff. I, I should tell I should tell the story just quickly because it's kind of funny. I, um, I, as everybody knows, I'm building a new studio. I've moved house, and the, the, I had some old acoustic panels, not old, but some acoustic panels from the last studio that I was selling. And anyway, I sold them on eBay, and I get this phone call late one night. Hey, I'm in the area. Can I come pick them up? Sure, not a problem. I'm walking down the driveway, and I'm looking at this face, and I'm going. I know you from somewhere. I know I know you from somewhere. Anyway, didn't didn't sort of click then. And then the next day there was an issue with the the, the PayPal thing. So I, 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 I give Steve a call and going through conversation, oh, Steve Balby, right. That's why I know the face. So that's yeah. how we happened to cross each other. Did you end up sorting that PayPal problem out? I did. It Are you still all money? Yeah, Steve Balby owes me money. That's right. I'm coming around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I thought, uh, my cab's here. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Is that that Robbo? I, I thought it was a different guy. <laughs> so anyway, fortune favours the brave, and here he is being brave there on our go. podcast. Exactly. Now, you're, uh, you've, you've uh, set up uh, studios before, but I know you just recorded an album in a bedroom, so you've uh, mm. sort of upscaled a bit from the bedroom into your new studio. So what have you actually done? Look, I, I did have a – I had a really great place uh, in Ultimo uh, probably 
a year ago now as it was a partnership thing <laughs> we all we've all been in partnerships in studios it, it sort of you know went <laughs> south uh, so I, I put all my gear into storage and and just went home for a little while and and I had it in the bedroom and I, I was really um I really enjoyed it in the bedroom the limitations were fantastic my gear fell over I had uh, you know, I started making this record. I had two mic pre's and I did all my drums with two two mics and it was just wonderful, you know, that rather than having everything at my fingertips, I found the limitations so great. Uh, I must add, my son's a drummer as well. He's, he's eight years old and he plays drums and my wife doesn't, unlike me, doesn't like drums in the lounge room. <laughs> uh, to, like I could walk past in the morning, I wouldn't even notice it, you know, like he'd be playing. It's just like, oh, yeah, great. Um, so I, I had to build a room and I, it's not ideal. I mean, ideally I would have loved to have, you know, put down a slab and, a, and, a, and, and made a brick solid structure, but um, I didn't want to do a DA thing. So it's only 20 by 20 metres squared. And um, it's just, there are these uh, prefab sort of buildings called, uh, oh, what is it, pod, back, backyard pods, that's it, backyard pods. The guys constructed one of them and I, I whacked some um, uh, yellow tongue some and two layers of sound check you know, a bit of air gap, uh, and it's it's pretty good. It's not totally soundproof. My son plays drums, and you can hear it a little bit outside. Got double doors. You know, just the basic things you pick up over the years, and um, I didn't spend a fortune getting it, tr- you know, uh, examined and, and treated, and I've done a fairly decent job of making it sound fairly neutral. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I know she said yellow tongue because um, I don't know what it, the yellow tongue is called in the states, but I, I've built mine my booth out of yellow tongue. Yeah. Um, so I've got you know yellow tongue, and then there's uh, acoustic bats, another layer of yellow tongue, and then acoustic treatment. You know, inside. I don't know what that is actually. Yeah, yellow tongue sounds like a sounds like an animal. <laughs> it's when you it's when it you it's when you've had too much to drink the night before. It's when you, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Uh, but yellow tongue is really compressed kind of chipboard, but it's used for flooring in Australia, and it's called yellow tongue because it's got a groove like a tongue and groove. Particle it's board, plastic yellow yeah, tongue. Yes, particle board. Yeah, particle board. But yeah, a yeah. highly okay. compressed particle board. Heavy yeah, as MDF shit too. almost. It's almost like MDF, maybe. Yeah, we call it MDF. Yeah, it's not MDF. No, it's not MDF. No. MDF is different no. again. Yeah, it's like a hardcore chipboard, and it's heavy, heavy, heavy. Yeah, it's mm. built to be a flooring oh, okay. in, in your housing and yeah. stuff like that. So it's, it's like half glue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's something a lot of glue, like that. Right? Yeah. yeah, I was also interested to hear where your amp room was, Steve. Yes, well, you know, uh, I, you know, even though I like, um, you know, technology's come a long way, and and sure, you know, guitar simulations, amp simulations, sort of okay, but. Uh, to me, I, I, you just can't beat a, an actual amp and a guitar. And so, you know, that was going to be a problem. So I thought, how do I get around this? So I, I looked on, on eBay and I, I bought this uh, three metre squared wooden cubby house um, <laughs> that, I've, that I put in my backyard. And I've done the same thing. I put some yellow tongue, then some uh, insulation, some spacing, and then some sound check. Chip rock. Uh, what, what do you guys call it in America? Um, drywall. Yeah. Drywall. Yeah. Chips yeah. and board. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
So that's out there and my amps sit out the back there. I've got some tie lines going down with some smart DIs to, uh, to manage the, the signal level. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, man. It's a really good view. I'm looking out at, at basically a, uh, a national park and uh, just sitting here in my room and quite happy. And I so, so if you want to change the gain on your amp, you have to go out there and turn a knob? Well, yes, I would have to do that. However, I, I've got, I can have a head in the room. Right, depending okay. on what, what amps I'm using, because I've got a few amps down there. So I can, I can do that. But to be honest, I, I sort of know my amps so well, and so whatever the job I'm doing, I can pretty much get it right. What do you use if, if you've got the, um, what do you call it? Are you, are you doing any like reamping or anything like that? For instance, the setup that I, I have in my control room is actually, they ended up using a piece of coax to get the guitar from the control room into an amp that's in the that's in the live room. So then you can play that way. And of course we've got speaker cable going through the floor. So yep. you can have a head in the control room. Yep. Plug straight same. into it and then yeah. Yeah, I've got the same. That's cool. I, I like the fact you're using a, a kid's cubby house mm-hmm. as, your, as your amp room. <laughs> yeah. But it looks it looks really sweet in the backyard. It's it's very functional. Um yeah, I, I guess you know, you need to think out of the box. And it's weird being, you know, coming from, you know, Does having it sound done... boxy? <laughs> do, you, uh, do you hear the box? Not really. I mean, you know, look, the, the downside is I'm not really able to use much room miking. But so far, all I've done is pretty much, you know, a couple of mics fairly close to the speaker. And so I'm enjoying the sound. It sounds... It sounds good. It sounds better than having it in the cupboard that I had it in in the bedroom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a couple of months ago. So you can hear the coat hangers ringing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a step back. Um, recording a, a, an entire album in your bedroom, there must mm. have been challenges. W- what were they? Oh, and how'd, look, you come, how'd you come? How'd you get over them? Just not knocking over something. You know, bending over to pick up a you know, a, a pedal and you're knocking over the cymbal stand. I mean, it's a really small bedroom, you know. <laughs> uh, that was probably the biggest challenge. Um, I really went for a lo-fi. I sort of used my limitations as my sort of target, you know. I couldn't hire great drummers. I had to play myself. So that your kid? Uh, well, he's nearly there. He's eight. I reckon he'll be on. He might be on next year. I think he, he could be doing it. But um, uh, so I had to make really simple parts, and um, and and I went cardboard box sound. You know, like tea towels, and just went Acme. I went totally Acme on everything. Um, so, so what are you recording on, and what are you monitoring with, like speaker wise and workstation yeah, well, interface? It's fun. In in the in the bedroom, I had these these, and I don't know the numbers, the model numbers, but the old Genelex, the old wooden box Genelex. I think there are probably a ten thirty two. Ten thirty twos. And um, are they? Oh, ten thirty twos are pretty big. Are they like what eight inch driver or six inch? No, I think they're eight inch drivers. They're pretty big. Yeah, way too big for the room. Yeah. And I've, you know, just using Pro Tools. In fact, I'm just about to buy a brand new rig. Like I'm really, I'm ordering it now. I'm, I think I'm just going to go the Apollo, and uh, Apollo and a Mac Mini because I don't do five five point one or anything like that. So you need to just get like an Apollo Solo, or, or are you going to get a rack? No, I'm going to get the Apollo Eight, and I've got a 
I've got some wonderful outboard gear. I've got a nice lunchbox with a, a Neve, a Chandler, a 500 series, uh, two APIs and two SSLs. Wow. Got, a, got a nice universal audio, uh, 6176 and a uni, universal audio um, 610, a nice Brook compressor. So, you, and, so you're going to switch to Luna possibly? Uh, I hate, I, I just hate learning curves, man. I really do. <laughs> I, I, well, I, and I've got so many. It might work pretty similarly the same. I think, I, I believe word on the street is the same guy worked on it. Oh, really? So what's it called? What's it called? Luna. Luna. Yeah, oh. it's the new UA thing that goes with the Apollo. It's basically a free DAW. Pretty much. But the thing about it is it's sort of, imagine essentially the Apollo console with a DAW attached to it, that's a little oh. bit more music, more supposedly more music oriented in some ways. It's it's pretty young, so there's a lot of stuff that it needs to get to be completely mature. But the fact that it's intrinsically tied with the UA hardware and therefore gives you that low latency console experience with your DAW. Yeah, like you get it's, a summing, it's pretty compelling. Yeah. A summing mixer, you know, that's part of the signal chain now. That's a summing mixer made by. What's, well, I don't know. What's well, they, they have the color SSL? thing, so they they have like a Neve, they have like a Neve mixer option, I think, that they charge oh, yeah. extra for. But what you can do is you can monitor through all those plugins. So sorry, um, you can monitor through all those plugins in like completely low latency, um, mm. which is really the true benefit of the UA system. Wow, I'll definitely check that out. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it just comes with your UA when you get it. Right. See, my problem is I've sort of got all these jobs on the go. Just, just sort of, um, yeah, you don't want to switch systems. Yeah, totally. switch systems. I lose kind of, you know, lose that little bit of speed. But look, it's definitely worth, worth looking into. I haven't Thank switched you. systems in twenty years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. In fact, Robert's still on the same twenty-year-old Mac. <laughs> no, this one's um, two thousand twelve. Whatever that makes that. It's eight years old. This one's not that bad. But yeah, I mean, when you have a workflow, of production flow, and you have a production schedule, and then you're scheduling jobs, you know, one, two, three months out, it's real hard to just take a month off or a week off and just change. Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, that's that's my problem. Um, I guess it's a good problem to have, though. <laughs> yes, indeed, totally. So, how did you find working, apart from the fact of bending over and knocking symbols over, um, and and the difficulty of monitoring? But how did you find the sounds were affected by working in such a small space? Uh, well, look, when I, you know, when I did some guitars, I just whack it in the lounge room, and, and I'm I sort of got over. I'm sort of over beautiful recordings. I tried so hard for so many years to make really beautiful sounding records, and I just find it really boring. Uh, yeah. So I, hmm. I prefer I prefer sort of rubbishy, interesting sounds now. So, and I don't know if I, if I sort of, because I, I used to be right into that with the electric hippies. You know, we had, we had engineers looking at us going, look, we, we made up all these little, little games we'd play. Like um, we had this one amp with a broken speaker and my Jag guitar, and you'd have to set the dials on the guitar and the amp. Maybe if you wanted an effect, you'd plug it in. And whatever that sound was, You'd find you'd have to record it. We wouldn't, and we would purposely not tune with tuners. We'd just tune by ear, you know, using a little Casio keyboard. Sure. Yeah. Um, and just that whole idea of more sort of 
24 rubbish sounds, um, you know, put together sound really interesting. So I'm sort of back into that mode at the moment. So just as well, because it was, was going to be pretty impossible to make, you know, a drum kit sound too wonderful with two <laughs> mics, you know. Yeah, totally. Well, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's the environment. It's the environment you create, and that's like the, the picture you're painting. I had a, in high school, actually, we had a band, and, and one of the songwriters was like more interested. He called it slack, actually. And, yeah, right. You know, it's like sort of the antithesis of like completely auto-tuned and perfect. Mm. And like just let it be rough around the edges as much as you like, and that's sort of the... I mean... You know, look, and, and I'm just not an overly technical person. You know, I've, I've sort of, um, I realised I, I realized a bunch of years ago, you know, that I really need to get hip. I need to get making music on a computer. And I've seen a lot of my peers sort of fall by the wayside because they didn't really want to sort of go down that way. But I'd always made records with engineers, you know. So I'm I'm not created to be an engineer I've picked up a few things uh, along the way and I, I I've got fairly decent ears so and I've I've grown up with working with great people so I do know a good sound and I can find of sort of massage what I'm doing into into sounding good without really knowing what I'm doing <laughs> sounds like my whole you know, career <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds like a lot of careers. But you know, we all. I guess. I guess you know, as Clint Eastwood once said, uh, you know, a man's got to know his limitations. And I, I guess if I'm if I'm going to mix a record, I'll, I'll mix stuff for TV. Uh, but if I'm going to mix, if I'm going to produce a record, uh, I probably generally pass it on to get mixed because I think there's people that mix much better than I do, and. Uh, you know, uh, so that's my sort of place in the whole. Uh, but then you'll do your own mastering, right? No, I don't. I, I get someone else to do. My <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the McDonald's yeah. master. Yeah, I've got a plug-in for that. So, um, yeah, so totally. we've we've got a few tracks here off off the album. If there was one that sort of epitomised the struggles and the um, the the let's shall we, shall we call them different sounds that you managed to come up with, what one would we give a bit of a spin to? Uh, okay. Um, well, they're, they're all sort of in that ballpark. Um, let me think. Um, I, I love the guitar sounds on um, on a song called My Sunshine. Hello and welcome to the show now. I'm glad that you could make it freedom from a Sunshine on a six string Sweet lies, you're gonna beat it Everyone can sing along The elevator's wide No uniform In the here and now It's not a cross disguise I'm nothing without you Now, what's the, what's the name of track two out of interest? Yeah, that's wonderful. That was the other one I thought could be good. Yeah, yeah. It's very orchestral without the orchestra. <laughs> it's plain to see that you I can't live without. With or without. 
And I can't remember the name. There's one track that um, I thought I'd blown the cone in my left speaker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you, because you'd done some effect on the bass guitar, and I'm like, shit, I've just blown the speaker. Oh, that, no, that, that was cars falling yeah. off the wall in the bathroom, wasn't it, Steve? <laughs> yeah, that that could be. There's two tracks that could be. Um, there's one called Terry Menopause. You know when you're looking to distort a vocal and you and you find a plug-in and it's it has the character that you're after, but it's way too much. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. It's way too much, and I left it like that. <laughs> so it could be that one. I reckon, yeah, because I'm just sitting. I'm sitting there going, "Oh man, is this I, I right?" I did have it pretty loud, but I didn't think I was going to blow a speaker. That's kind of so. funny. That's like John Lennon wanted to annoy people with the very end of uh, a day in the life with like a. 14k tone he wanted like anger dogs <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well the interesting story about that kind of stuff getting dirty sounds was the kinks and yeah. I can't remember mm-hmm. the track it was either you really got me or all day and all the night one of the two anyway but they were trying to get a really aggressive guitar sound mm. and uh, I don't know who who engineered that record they or, or shred their speakers it. It, yeah put, put a razor yeah. blade and cut yeah. the, the cone in the Amp. Yeah, nice. Totally. Uh, and had that really flabby, broken sound. Yeah. Absolutely. So aggressive. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. You just want to make sure you borrow someone else's amp to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a stunt amp. The stunt yeah. amp. Yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was a time in the, in the 80s when digital recording was in its infancy, you know. And remember when D- CDs would say like D D D D D D. Yeah, yeah. Like digitally remember recorded, when um, digitally mixed? What's your name? Um, from Switched on Bach, uh, Carlos. Um, mm-hmm. um, Later, Carla did four Ds because it was all synths that were never digital out analog. Right. Oh wow! Digital yeah. instruments. Digi- the whole deal was completely digital. But I'm just recalling, like, I listened to, like, particularly GRP, which is a label that did big band and, you know, jazz. And if you want to hear the world's most sterile big band recording on planet Earth, listen to one of those albums from, like, the late 80s, early 90s, all digital, everything. Mm. It is so sterile. The bass is clearly only a DI. There's no mic on that thing. And it is just Sting's, like, second album was that way, too. Sure, um, but it, English like the album that had Englishman in New York, I think, and it right. it wasn't we so bad, so but that one was with, like yeah, we were so obsessed clean. with the quality mm, and forgot yeah. about the music. And then you know Jack White comes out and says, you know, I'm doing retro and I'm using two track and I'm you know, yeah. so it's like you got to find your sound and trust your ears. And if you trust your ears, you can you can be all ham fisted with the gear, but if you know what you're getting out there is what you want, who cares? If it sounds good, it is good. That's all yeah, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at the wall of sound. Like that was purposely distorted. You yeah. know? Even though there's that band Bon Iver, you know, you listen to some of it. The, they're definitely some of the worst recordings I've ever heard. And it's so wonderful sometimes, you know. So it's just it's just refreshing. And it's sort of not necessarily better, right? It's just it's Different. just it's, it's a different, different perspective. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like photographers who get old lenses that have like whatever, like they're out of focus around the outside edges and things like that. Right. And are you, right. are, are you the look? same? It's funny as 
You know, I feel that digital world is is getting so fantastic and I really love it. I honestly really do. But the, the better it gets, the more, I don't know if it's just a romantic thing, but I just feel so comfortable having some gear beside me that's warm that I can touch the knobs on. Is it? Is it? I don't know if it's just romantic. I don't uh, think it or, is, Steve, because you look at, you know, I mean, how many tape emulators are out there and stuff that, you know, is trying to put that warmth back into digital recordings and they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. obviously selling because everybody's doing one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I sort of think there is that nostalgia for the old valve tape warmth that we... And like the ISDN emulator. And what do you think, hey guys, guys, what do you think about, you know, like, you know, I made this record and of course, you know, CDs aren't, aren't really the way to go these days. So, you know, my management's going, well, we've got to, you know, we've got to do vinyl. And I'm going, you know, he sent me the test pressings and to be honest, I didn't even really want to hear it. It's like, who cares? For me, Jack right? Jack White, yeah. It, I, it's, I agree that I don't think vinyl really does sound better, to be honest. I don't think it does, especially if you're not recording yeah. to tape to start with. You know what I mean? Isn't that the main beauty? I mean, just think about the whole fact that it goes through that, that like a 33 goes through that weird EQ curve just to keep the bass from knocking the walls down and, and then it has to be re-EQ'd. It just seems like it's not great and... The dynamic range isn't that huge, and as a playback medium, it's it's got such a huge following. But on paper, <laughs> it doesn't look that great in comparison to like you know. But is that sound? Is that sound the nostalgia though? That's the question. That is. It's 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 that it's dither, right? Mm. It's just literally mm. noise that gives it that cushy feeling of infinity. Yeah. You know. Uh, it must be disturbing being so, be actually understanding it technically because, um, you know, most of us it's just an emotional thing. But you can work out, you know, you kind of know what you're listening to in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. but I'm asking a question is, so if I've got a pressing of Abbey Road, one of the original pressings, that's going to sound distinctly distinctively better than or more romantic how it's supposed to sound than say my album that was made on pro tools and and mastered digitally right it's gonna isn't the beauty the part that what it was recorded on i think it's more important i think it it goes all the way in fact back to the microphones that are used and what it's recorded on and finally what it's distributed on is technically the least or i mean it's the most important to the end user but as far as defining the sound of the recording and the vibe of it, you know. You don't get it back because you throw mm. some crap onto a record. I've seen that the the really extreme audiophiles are going to reel-to-reel machines and they're using these heavily modified Tascam uh, machines that have been hot-rotted. Right. And, mm. uh, and they're paying tremendous amounts of money for these reel-to-reel cuts of stuff that came right off the masters. And that right. seems to be like that's a real, real edge case thing, but that seems to be what the super audiophile people are going to. And yes, that is an analog medium, not digital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I agree that tape sounds really good. It, you know, has that same thing where it's technically, you know, like I think most digital systems boast numbers that beat the best tape system, but there's still a sound to tape that I, I think it's the compression. Like, there's just a sort of feel to it that, yeah. that 
the digital just you have to fight to get mm -hmm. and, and you're trying to like you know, mm -hmm. take digital and round off the edges and make it maybe a little bit slower. And tape just kind of gives you the right balance a lot of the times right off the bat. And a lot of yep. the tape emulators do the trick fairly well, too. They're getting pretty I good. A, I, I think a lot of people are recording, actually putting a tape machine, not recording on tape, but putting a tape machine in the chain just to mm. get the sound of the tape amplifiers. Yeah, I mean, That's did right. you ever hear of the clasp? Do you, you know what that system was? No. no. It was... um. It was, it was basically like this box, and you'd hook up your tape deck to it, multi-track tape deck, and you could record onto the record head, and it would play it back off the playhead. So it was really on and off tape. And then off it would go into Pro Tools, but it m managed all the the inputs and outputs so that you heard it in sync, and then it stayed in sync on the Pro Tools um, or whatever workstation it was. So you could overdub through tape. And even when I would record a band, if if I have the option to, I would take them to like Steve Albini's place, and I would record them onto the twenty four track, leave the twenty four track in Repro, a playhead, and record that into Pro Tools, and just mm. keep on burning over the same piece of tape all day long. Yeah, right. Definitely for me, at least, getting drums on tape mm. makes just gets the drum sound there faster, and and you know, honestly, in a more fun way. I think that's part of it, part of the inspiration. Mm. Uh, and it's different, of course, now because we're talking about um, not using big commercial studios anymore. But one of the best examples of how to capture a, an amazing sound with minimal gear um, is Dave Brubeck. If you listen to Dave Brubeck records and look at the pit photographs of how they recorded the drums, for instance, I think they've only got one or two mics mm. for the drum kit. That's it. No, isn't that famous Beatles one like three mics, like kick and like yep. left kit and right kit, basically like coming in from the side. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah there's there's a producer in uh, Delaware. I gotta find it, or maybe it's Maryland, and he has it. He does his own label and he does his own recordings in his own studio, and he controls you know he controls the entire production from start to finish. So it's sort of like a very boutique production flow but he uses a pair of pzms to a one inch machine mm. that he yeah. completely modified uh. himself and he does it in one room and that's the way his albums are done you hear what, what does he reggae, put rock classical jazz and it's all done in this one room with these two mics and he just sits there painstakingly move people around until he gets the blend the way he wants it yeah. <laughs> that's old school. that is really old school what, what what's yeah. he putting the pzms onto like what's he using as a, i don't know what the preamps zone. are but it goes to a one inch tape machine that he i think he custom made the head stack but um, is he putting the pzms like on a surface like on something like to act as the zone do you know what yeah, i mean i think they're mounted to two panels that he like a, okay. two barriers that he positions yeah. I, haven't, oh, I, I have to look them up it's been years I love those mics. You should check out, and I have one, the, the Crown SAS mic. Stereo right, that's the one that does stereo, PZM right? mic. Mm -hmm. It's like it's a kind of a weird mic, but basically it's like a boundary. Mm -hmm. Weren't they hung above orchestras all the time? They would use it for orchestras. It was, it, it was used for acoustic sampling. I think that's what it stands for. Um, but basically it's sort of like a PZM meets a Jekyll disc setup hmm. so that you have a like a acoustic barrier between the two mics and the two mics are separated roughly about like an ears worth like roughly ORTF but then it uses these two PZMs sitting there um, I've used it on drum overheads it's pretty cool um, it's it's an interesting mic definitely it's got a definite interesting stereo um, sort of 
width to it. Wow. Yeah. We've used them yeah. uh, left and right beside the kit, which was on the floor, which can sound good. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that is yeah. cool. Chest level, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm going to guess who's on eBay tonight looking for some more PZMs. I'm going to go down the, the gear lust rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. coming out for yeah. a while. Yeah. yeah. So what's your favourite vocal, Mike? Uh, you know, I don't, really, I don't really know. I think um, all I have is a... Is a Neumann, is it uh, the 49? I think it's the 49. Yeah, M49, nice. yeah. That's what I use. So that, I guess that's my favourite one. <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> good go. one there. Yeah, not much to say. Yeah, yeah so. it's, uh, I've had it for a long time. So How, How's the 49 versus the, uh, the C100 from Sony that you have? Uh, I, you know, look, I used the 49 for so long and I loved it. And then I used the Sony and it was new uh, and it, I kind of really enjoyed it, but it, it's sort of, I got tired of the Sony. Uh, you know, the, the 49 seems to have more longevity. How, how would you primarily describe the difference? Like, is it brighter or just yeah, more brittle? I, I, or Yeah, the, I think that the 49's not as brittle at the top end. I, I think that yeah. the, the C100's, the, I'm nearly... Because it's a high definition mic, I'm nearly hearing too much tops. I just don't want to. As I said before, it nearly sounds too good. Go tell the designer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, mate. Your mic's too good. Yeah, your mic's <laughs> too good, man. Never it's gonna like, work. <laughs> baby, you're too beautiful. I can't date you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Having, having said that, I, I could imagine. Um, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm saying that for my record. But if I was recording, say. Um, you know, say Tash Wolf, who's a, a girl that's got just lovely, lovely, rich, deep sort of voice. It, uh, that mic's going to be beautiful, you know. So, yeah, everything has its place, I guess. Well, here's, here's a question. Uh, just while we're on mic, vocal mics, um, the the lead singer of Noiseworks, the band you were with for our American listeners, is a guy called John Stevens, who in my mind is one of the greatest vocalists that's come out of Australia slash New Zealand in the last 20, yeah. 30 years. Just a voice that for me is to die for. Was there, a, was there a mic that he always yeah. went to or did you vary it up in the studio? Yeah, well, I, I just produced uh, the last Noiseworks record mm. and um, it's not out yet. Uh, we'll be, hopefully they'll come out next year. Mm. Um, but John, uh, I think his voice sounded better on the 49. Yeah. Uh, but John's the sort of guy that it was just the SM7B handheld. It's where he sings best. Yeah, right. Mm. So I just use that. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting how the SM7 comes up so much. It doesn't, well, it does. especially in music circles. Yeah. It's more used in rock vocals than you think. Yeah, I think so. I think I think a lot of singers like to be able to move a little bit, mm -hmm. and it's a you know I guess singing such a physical thing. It's not that you can't move if your mic's in your mic stand, but but John loves to hold the mic. You know. He's used to doing that. He's done that pretty much every night of his life, mm. you know, performing. And, you know, that's, that's what I found. That's when I found he was giving me the better vocals. In fact, we did, 
we did four tracks uh, with the 49 and <clears throat> it's funny as I was making the, the music around it because I like to do the vocals early in the piece. Yep. Uh, I, I don't like to do vocals at the end all the time. Uh, I, like, I think I like building a track around the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recorded the, the four tracks and it's funny, I found myself muting the vocal quite a lot to get it out of my way and it, it's sort of, I shouldn't be doing that. Um, I asked myself why and I think it was two things. I think um, John's such a great singer, as you said, uh, Darren, um, but he kind of, ju- you know, we'd just written the songs. He was sort of on his phone, a little bit distracted, and that guy can open his mouth, sing the lyrics, and you go, wow. Mm-hmm. But, but there was that emotional thing that was missing. And so that's when I sort of went back and sort of sat him down on a good day and said, listen, man, I reckon that you can probably hit these tracks again. You know the vocal now. Why don't we get you on the SM7? You can feel more natural. And I, I, the the difference was outstanding. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you ever try to have him handhold the forty nine? <laughs> 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 Mate, he is the clumsiest guy I've ever met in my life. There's no way I'm giving him that thing to hold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. What if you hung it from some like bungee cords from the ceiling? Yeah. Swing it around yeah. like adultery. <laughs> a bungee mic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also for uh, our American listeners or international listeners, John was also the second singer for In Excess after Michael passed yes, away. True. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. singer, man. Great voice. I would I would say one of the one of the definitive greatest rock voices. And but the crazy thing is, like you know, he's part Maori and part. Um, Scottish, mm. but he's he's got the most soulful voice as well. I can't believe that he hasn't made more sort of solely kind of records. In fact, Justin Stanley and I are, are going to make a rec- solo record for him, and we're just going to get down and and really do a soul record with John because he's incredible. To give you an idea, George and Robert, I remember when um, when the first time I heard Noiseworks, I was in my very first car. I would have been 18, 19, something like that. And I was driving to work and the, f- the first ever song I heard, Take Me Back, came on the radio. And I remember clear as day, I stopped whatever I was thinking about, whatever I was doing, I just stopped. I just heard this voice come on the radio and I went, shit. And I just reached over and turned it up and that was it. I was, I was a fan forever. It was Instant it's quite fan. incredible. Mm-hmm. John's got one of those voices that just, you know, I guess it just stops the room, doesn't it, Steve? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's just so easy for yeah. him. He just opens his just mouth. A, sounds great, you know. Is it sort of hard to produce because you have to find things to, to like, oh, you can do that better? But it's like, how do you tell someone who's, who's so good that yeah, you can well, do better? Yeah, well, look, you've definitely got to be careful, you know. Uh, you know, singers are, are generally tricky tricky instruments to play, you know. Um, so, you know, but I know John so well and, and actually asking him to sing those four tracks again, if I if I had done it on a different day, it would have been, oh, forget it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, you've got a little bit of ego stroking and, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, like he's pretty open, you know, to, to musical... Uh, melodies and, you know, he'd often ask, you know, what do you think and sing him a melody and you go, it's great and have a crack. So, mm. you know, uh, but I mean, you know, we have, we've known each other for 35 years now so, or longer. So, you know, if, if you don't know how to work with someone at that point, 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I, I was lucky enough to get to re- record John singing just once when I was at Triple M. We did Rocktober back in 92. And for Go the ahead. closer yeah. of Rocktober, um, we'd, we'd done a jingle for the month. Um, and for the closer of Rocktober, we got all the different artists that came in during Rocktober. We got them to sing part of the jingle and then we mashed it all up and played it at the end. And I, I was lucky enough to, uh, to get to record John's part for that. And I just remember just looking down at how much gain I didn't need. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right, and, right. and just went, Jesus, you know, this is incredible. So, um, so yeah, that's, I think that's, uh, that was probably one of the highlights of my radio, radio, full-time radio days. Can I be that guy who just looks you up on Wikipedia and finds weird things to ask you about? Yeah. Good. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> you are a voice double in the film Moulin Rouge. Yes. Well, in fact, I, I sung that any male part in that film, I actually spent nearly six months. I, I pretty much sang the whole film. And the wow. film... Yeah, like even even the crowds. I was working with Marius de Vries, who's a wonderful producer. Uh, um, even sort of the you, crowd. You were placeholding, or or are you? How how was the capacity there? Like, what was your role? I mean, were you, were you cast? Yeah, as a voice double, were you like a guide you track? Production? Wasn't it? Would it be? Well, they were guide tracks initially. So, you know, I pretty much sang all the all the lead parts, and then. You know, say there'd be big crowd scenes. I'd do like three hundred voices going because you can, 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 because you can, 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 because you can, can, can. You know, wow. and they're still in the film, and a lot of the leads are still mm. in the film. Ewan McGregor, who can sing, redid his his bits, um, and a couple of the other cast members that could sing redid their bits. But yeah, I got a pretty major credit. I can't remember what it actually was, though, to be honest. Um, That's amazing. But, yeah, that was really, really great fun. Uh, one of the great uh, offshoots of that was um, Marius de Vries ended up with some David Bowie uh, songs to produce, so I got to help him out on that, doing some vocal arrangements and singing on that stuff, which was great fun too. Wow. Uh, mm. for, for Bowie's album? For an album called Hours, I think it was, yeah. It was three tracks I did. I don't know if they all made the record. I know a couple of them did, yeah. But I mean, I'm a big Bowie fan, so that was a great moment in my, my yeah, recording you would, you career. Done it for free, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm in the I'm in the uh, the vocal booth. You know, Marius de Vries at, you know, in in the control room and saying, "Excuse me, Marius, can you turn David down the cans, please?" It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little little victories. Awesome. Some great stories with Bowie. The way he recorded. Yes, um, but. Uh, that would have been an amazing time to be alive, I reckon, recording back then, you know, that that year of 71 where where artists had a little bit of money to spend and the technology was kind of good enough and the artists could kind of get involved in that whole process. It's sort of like the blend of, of money and technology and creativity was just right, I reckon. It was an amazing year, that 1971, you know, Think of yeah. the records that came out that year in particular. It was incredible. It's funny, actually, when I was a mm. kid um, growing up in the UK, a mate of mine's brother was a painter and decorator. Yeah. And during school holidays, he'd always say, do you want to earn some, some money? And we'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, oh, I've got a job in London, so, you know, if you want to help, I'll give you, you know, work for the week and I'll give you, you know, five quid or something. 
So we jumped in the, the transit and headed into London and we were working in the studio and, the, and we were painting Broad Stewart's office. <laughs> but the, I wish I'd known more and actually been a bit more observant, but it was actually a full-blown recording studio and I don't know which one it was. But what I do remember was a bin outside full of seven-inch reels, quarter-inch tape. Huh. that had been thrown mm. away. And I thought, oh, shit, that's great, because we had a reel-to-reel player at home. So I just grabbed a whole bunch of it, <laughs> took it home, and we, we, we just recorded over everything <laughs> oh, no. on my dad's no. reel-to-reel player. I have oh, no, no idea what it was. But, <laughs> oh, uh, imagine Fantastic. what that would be worth now. <laughs> it would have been all the off-takes of Rod Stewart records recorded. Wow. Like uh, there you go. And Rod recorded over the Beatle recordings. I mean, like, is that right? Did he? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Justin and I did um, when we when we eventually left Noiseworks, uh, we started the Electric Hippies, and and of course, you know, we didn't have any money, uh, and we did remember that, like back in the day, you know, you'd do three takes on a reel. And then you'd get the next reel, you'd do three takes, and then you'd... So we remembered that there, were, there must have been, you know, I don't know, reels and reels and reels of unused outtakes. So they were all stored in Stony, at the Sony storage. And um, so we went, we went parked in the Sony, Sony garage, and Justin went and talked to the, the guy running the studio while I snuck back and found all these Noiseworks outtake reels and stuck them in the boot of my car, and then we made the, no- the Electric Hippies records on that. Man, that tape stock was expensive. Absolutely. It was. Yeah. It was. Absolutely. It was like 500 bucks a reel, wasn't it, or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> it was that the stuff. Ampex two-inch tape? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like $300 yeah, yeah. now. Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of Electric Hippies... Another little tidbit from your Wikipedia mm-hmm. um, was that you worked with, in some capacity, Nika Costa. Yeah. Yeah. Tell well, because um, I moved to LA in 2004 and I discovered her not long after and saw her perform live a few times. I was blown away by her. She's incredible, man. In fact, well, her, her husband, Justin Stanley, he and I you know, met when we were 17. He was ended up being in Noiseworks with me and, you know, he was just here yesterday. He's one of my, you know, musical soulmates. And um, I remember Nika Costa, <laughs> um, you know, because Justin wrote and helped write and produce that record of hers or all her records. And um, Like a feather, maybe? The one yeah. that really big, hit big? Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember being at an airport in Italy and, and there was this young girl and her mum sitting, you know, in, waiting for their flight. And, you know, we were on the same flight and I was just sort of being the, the crazy young kind of, you know, rock and roll guy. And I just said, hey, guys, I used to do this thing. I'd just go up to people and do this soft shoe dance for them. And I, I just went up to these complete strangers, which was Nika and her mum, and did this soft shoe dance. And it broke the ice. We all got to talking and Justin and Nika fell in love and that was it. So, Whoa. you know, <laughs> the old soft shoe. <laughs> yeah, nice. um, Good so, move. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so then I guess, um, you know, Nika and Justin ended up moving back to the States. This is after the Electric Hippies. And 
you know, that's when you would have discovered her, but they're back here now because they just want to get out of America in the current climate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wonder yeah. why. Yeah. Wonder why. <laughs> Must be the weather. We won't go there. Um, so, uh, so Nick Acosta, Justin Stanley, myself, and a guy called Mark Lazotte are going to do a collaboration very soon, actually. So, um, yeah, I know Nick Acosta really well. I'm glad to hear that. So yes. I hadn't seen her performing in a, quite a while now, and she kind of slipped back under the radar, and uh, that's cool. I'm really glad to hear she's still. Oh man, out. she is on her fire. Her energy is insane. I saw her live at a uh, couple small clubs on Sunset here in Hollywood, you know, and damn, like she is like a reincarnated. Um, Come on, what's Janice Joplin? Yes, she's like a freaking <laughs> Even, reincarnated Janice Joplin. With a yeah, but but with the with the spirit of James Brown or something, you right. know. It's like, it's, man, she's no she's one of the greatest in that that field. I mean, you know, Prince just took to her big time. He, you know, and that, I mean, Justin ended up working with Prince just through that relationship. And yeah. I'll, I'll pass on uh, your respect to Nika uh, and Justin because he he produced that. That first record, which is really just say George says hi, she'll know who it is. It's all right. Yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. She will. <laughs> no, the good call, George. She is pretty spectacular and still as good as ever. Like they popped in to Australia, I think it was last year, and she did a small show with some local uh, musos, and it was steaming, man. It was amazing. Can I ask a totally different direction? Because yeah. I'm literally opening Spotify. So George, what else is in the Wikipedia page? <laughs> no, I'm opening Spotify right now so I can <laughs> yeah. have a Nika Costa alert. Um, <laughs> this is how I f- things don't get missed. I don't miss things when I put it in here. What do you think of the, the, the where we are now with streaming music platforms? I know for a long time it felt really uh, not pro-musician. Is that changing for you? Oh man, that's you know it's really really hard. I mean, um, I, I think for 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 those platforms to really work, you need to be uh, you need to live on your social media. You actually need to be twenty four seven working that social media. You know, like there's for instance, there's this girl Tash Wolf that I've just. Uh, been working with and producing an EP for her. She's got Tap Management. I think they have uh, Lana Del Rey, a big management. So, but she's got over. She hasn't even released a record. Like she's, I think she's just turned twenty, twenty-one. She hasn't released a record. She's got over four hundred thousand followers, right? Because she just puts these oh, bits shit. up. Yeah, she just puts. She's a great guitar player. She's beautiful, and she just. You know, she just lives on social media and she's just... So when she releases something, it's, you know, it's going to translate. So someone in my position, you know, um, I've got a core following in Australia, you know, um, I I spend six weeks making a record in my bedroom. Uh, if I If I put it straight to Spotify, I'm guaranteed to make... No money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 So it's a platform that yeah. distributes audio and it's heard by, a, you know, it can be ten- potentially reached by a lot of people. But yeah. It needs that, it needs that, uh, its partner, which is social media. 
It needs which to be is social like, media worked. and and now money because like even even social media, you know, where you used to be able to go and spend twenty bucks to boost a post, you're mm. only getting half that joy now because they've turned it into, a, you know, it was always going to happen, you know, but now it's not free, you know, mm. so. No. No. Um, I'm sure just even on Spotify to get like heavily put in playlist rotations, there's probably a way. There's probably a payola-ish way to get yourself out there, like just you know, and and a lot of the yeah, there are there are. I've just produced a guy called Spectre Tapes, and uh, he has spent up. I think he spent about seven k on promotion, and he got on a bunch of playlists, the Picky Blinders playlists, and a few others. Uh, and I think he's up to around the uh, 500,000 streams, but you still need a million streams to make $5,000. Wow. <laughs> God. You know, so, wow. so all he needs to do is spend another $7,000 and he'll make five grand. Wow. <laughs> right. It's a guarantee. <laughs> so he only has to lose, only has to lose 10 grand for his, uh, for his passion. There yeah, you go. Make it up in volume. Yeah. Yeah. Small yeah. price. But, and yeah. then, but make then it up in the, T-shirts. Yeah. Then there's the backside, and don't uh, tree shirts. That's that's you know that's one thing we still have. You know, um, not, not not with all labels. I was gonna say touring, well, not touring, like not a right 360 and, deal, yeah. and not touring. Yeah, there you go. Well, see what my theory was, because uh, I'm I spent two hundred dollars making my record in my bedroom. Um, so I've got a small fan base in Australia. Maybe you know I, my reach is about thirty thousand people. If I can. I figure if I can sell two, three hundred records, right, which isn't many. Well, you've just doubled it, man. You're no, on our no, show. That's right. <laughs> yeah, really, you got the bump. really, if you think about it, you think about it, you know, 300 records, this is an EP, right? So 300 records for, you know, 20 bucks for the record plus a package of a, a T-shirt, that's 40 bucks a pop times 300. At least I make money. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. You know, yep. I, I put it on, and then I can, you know, it costs me 200 so I, I'm ahead. If I put it out on Spotify only, I, I just, I'm just doing this thing because I love it, which I am doing anyway, yeah. mm. but yeah. sustainability is not just a buzzword, it's actually a necessity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, I was talking to um, Lars Deutsch yesterday, and Lars is a composer and producer and stuff based in America, a German guy, and he's been working with... Um, uh, this singer, songwriter, female, and he sent me a link to the album, which I listened to. In fact, I listened to it about four times because I had to drive into town and back, so I ran the album through. And I sent him an email back saying, oh, I think these, from the first listen, these two songs, I reckon, are your first two singles. And it wasn't the ones that he picked, but then we got into a discussion about you know, singles and how they used to work as opposed to the way they work now with streaming where you would get one track and someone might download that one track, but they're not going to go and buy your album. But in the old days, it was like you the first single was always the one that opened the door that was never going to be a hit particularly, but was so different that people actually gave it a bit of a listen and played it. Then you followed it up with get the guaranteed hit single and then you followed that up with the, the, the following hit single, then you um, released the album. But, of course, mm -hmm. that doesn't happen anymore. Well, it doesn't. I mean, you even even people like uh, Taylor Swift, all that, all that sort of real high end, um, like, say, a distributor like MGM, uh, you know, you used to have a record that would go on, you know, might be really successful, be number one, be in the charts for like six months, a year, 
you know. But now it's sort of like there's a focus of one week, you know, bang. Who's, who's, whose album's going to be number one big next week? You know, like Lime Cordial had a week and then the next time it was, you know, a different act. It's, it's so, it's so um, you know. Uh, competitive. Well, competitive and, and disposable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, revolving doors. Changing times. W- where are we sending people to buy a Steve Balby T-shirt then? Well, send them to my website and then I make some money. SteveBalby.com. <laughs> Good work. SteveBalby.com. SteveBalby.com. Yeah. There you go. We'll stick that yeah. in the show notes. Go buy yourself a T-shirt and buy some music. Yeah, buy some, buy buy some buy vinyl. Some it sounds great. There you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like I, I said to you, I think I was talking to you last week, Steve, and I did mention that your new record actually reminded me, apart from the obviously Beatles references and stuff, but I did mention Jellyfish. Yeah, Uh, yeah. uh, To some, an obscure band from the early 90s, but they were, you know, a fantastic band. And um, I can kind of hear a little bit of a reference to Jellyfish. I've heard that a lot since I've released the record. And to be honest, I remember hearing Jellyfish back in the 90s because the the Beatles uh, references were really thrown about a lot to that band, but also for the Electric Hippies. uh, you know, we're very retro sort of, um, I guess we grew up on the Beatles. We love Beatles and Bowie. So, uh, yeah, I've got jellyfish a lot, actually, if you're not the only person that's mentioned that. Um, and I kind of just made this record, you know, I got, I kind of, I kind of sick of, uh, you know, people of my demographic and sort of going, oh, they don't make music like they used to, you know, <laughs> yes. I thought, I thought I'd make a record <laughs> like that. So, yeah. And when you've done it, you've done it well. And one final um, little anecdote from uh, 1994. Um, I was in Ireland uh, in Dublin with Nick Seymour from Crowded House. And uh, we were at a club one night having far too many beers, I think, and decided that we would drive to Belfast the next morning to take photographs of all the murals uh, because peace was being talked about and they thought they were going to paint them over. So I said to Nick, I've got a car. Let's go in the morning. So I picked him up and off we went and we drove up to uh, Belfast and sort of took photographs and stuff and got harassed by soldiers and IRA and all that kind of caper. And so driving back, we were pretty worn out and it was dark and listening to the radio. And what came on the radio? The Electric Hippies. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, in fact, the Electric Hippies, uh, that single, Greedy People, I think their, their system in Germany in particular... It was really different. You get added to radio and then it was a matter of then the labels and the band working it up the charts. But the Electric Hippies was the most added song across the board to radio since the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Well, there you go. But it was it a was very actually, different song for its time, wasn't it? It was and uh, it's funny the Germans really got it. We, we started doing really well in Germany. I mean, you know... You can't see Australian or like here. Here are two guys with sort of, um, you know, long hair and and mirror ball suits. Uh, the Australians didn't get it. You know, the Germans, the Germans loved us. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, go do yourself a favour. Go out and buy Steve's new album, and maybe pick up some electric hippies from the yeah. past, and maybe Noiseworks. If you like Kings of Leon, you, you definitely will love Noiseworks. Absolutely. 
Steve, thanks for joining yeah. us. Thanks for yeah, the plug, thank guys. Uh, lovely to talk to you. I don't know how much audio we spoke, but we had a good chat. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've well, got a new record. Our regular listeners are used yeah. to that. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> this show was mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging. Edit by Andrew Peters. Using Rode microphones and Source Connect Now. Tech support from George the Tech Whittem. And supported by Harlan Hogan's VoiceOverEssentials.com. The home of the Portabooth Pro. Trouble